Here we go. Hey guys, Steve here. Potent Phonics. Today we're going to talk about growing with fishes. Growing with fishes. Everybody, welcome to back to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode three hundred and forty-one. Uh, this week we have uh, Brandon Rust with us. Thanks a lot for joining us, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. Uh, always a pleasure to be able to chop it up with a friend and catch up on what you know what we all got going on because I know we all stay pretty busy. So, oh yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. Heck yeah. Definitely been a wild, uh, a wild little bit. Um, I've definitely it had a been, huh? What was the when was the last time I was on? Oh, it's been a while since we had you on for sure. Um, trying to think, I have to go back and look at the schedule. It's been a minute, yeah. yeah. Um, how, how are you doing though? And you just had your uh, website get fully revamped and everything, and uh, and all kinds of cool stuff, uh. That you've been up to with different projects uh what's new with you yep you know i've been staying pretty busy uh like you said we uh relaunched the website so it is way more functional it has a better feel to it it's really easy to navigate uh there's a really awesome affiliate marketing program on there it's got information it's just easy to it's just easy easy to navigate right easy to find the stuff on there easy to purchase so i just wanted to make sure that uh we had everything really comprehensive and uh it's been it's been a while in the making but we got it all figured out you know big shout out to uh jay zoso jay on ig uh, he is like a wizard when it comes to uh, doing the back end of the computer stuff. What's going to be really cool is on this, um, we we actually can sign people up for wholesale accounts. And so it'll be, it'll look different on wholesale accounts because it'll show the normal price of product, but it'll also show the the retail price. So people who have like, you know, garden stores, hydroponic stores, or if they're, you know, farms with uh, either a wholesale or a agricultural tax ID number, they'll be able to sign up on there and get wholesale pricing. And it will have LTL freight shipping integration so that if they want to order, you know, a whole pallet of amendments, you know, gypsum, magnesium, potassium, whatever, whatever amendments they need or humates and microbes they can they can get quoted right on the uh, website and they'll be able to select it whether or not they need a lift gate or if it's a commercial or residential so it's one of the things that we've really been putting together and it you know took a a team of us to get it all together and it's you know i i really like it i have a i have a uh i'm pretty excited about you know i have a um a good feeling that it will help with uh with business and stuff you know 
yeah no it definitely looks great and also be sure to check out his instagram rest up brandon he always has lots of cool content and lots of great little info bits he posts all the time on there definitely check it out yeah i've been i've been going on there and doing little like 15 20 minute live videos and i'll usually repost them and I just, I just usually, you know, smoke a couple bong hits and just talk about, you know, whatever bullshit comes to my mind. You know, we'll talk about soil science and we'll talk about, you know, weed stuff, hash, whatever it is. It don't matter. It's just, just fun stuff. So you, uh, you recently launched the NutriPot. Why don't you tell us about that? Because that's super cool and uh, really a great way, especially if you're doing transplanting and, and upsizing your pots. Yeah, it's going to be a really cool thing. So um, I haven't released it yet. It's not available. It will be available at the uh, beginning of next year. I wanted to do some more R&D because the the original, the, the, the recipe that I originally put together was a little too strong as far as the NPK values, you know, the, the macronutrient values. It was like 18, 15, 11. So 18% nitrogen. 15% FOS and uh, 11% potassium, which was kind of too strong. Those cups were too strong for most seed starts. Um, beans and pumpkins do all right. Like larger types of like seed varieties are like more robust types of um, plants were okay in those, but it wasn't really a great kind of universal um one size fits all formulation and so i did a new uh, a new formulation and they're all getting tested at the lab and everything so i'll have that but it should be around uh you know 443 or so the next one but what that is for anybody who doesn't know what the nutrigrow pot is the nutrigrow pot is a fully compostable pot that's uh, made from compost manure and then the and then the uh humate fertilizer and that humate fertilizer is complete carbon chelated nutrition so the nitrogen potassium phosphorus all carbon chelated the secondary and uh, micronutrients are all carbon chelated and what essentially happens is it it acts as a replacement for single-use plastics and for starter fertilizers so across all different types of nurseries people start their uh, plants in um, plastic pots and then they'll go and they'll transplant those disturb the roots and then they'll apply starter fertilizers to get them going with this it's just a one that it just you start your plant in this cup this cup will you know break down eventually so you can start things in it and then you can just transplant directly into the soil without disturbing the root zone it'll break down and release that mineral nutrition and that all that available carbon carbon right in the root zone so it acts as a biostimulant it's a multifunctional product because it's uh, all the elements the plant needs for growth but it's also a biostimulant it contains 66 percent carbon which will help proliferate the microbiome the the microbiology in the in the soil and it will also help with water retention because it observes a lot more water than uh, it, it observes like you know four or five times the amount of water uh, by carbon weight and since it's about 66 percent by volume carbon um it'll observe you know let's say if it's you know 50 let's say the cup let like you have a 100 gram cup right it you should be able to observe around you know 500 grams of water 
you know, and kind of keep it there. So it helps with some environmental stresses due with drought that are associated with drought or even here's the thing too, is I've been doing experiments in here in my uh, property in Choctaw. I have really, really low mineral nutrition and my total soluble PPM on a saturated paste test is only 24. So we're talking about less than the amount of nutrition that's in that's in my water. So my soil is is basically just sand. It's sand and it has about 2% organic matter. So it can hold a little bit of water and it does have a little bit of nutrient in it, but such a small quantity that nothing really can grow but these invasive grasses. However, I have these flourishing pumpkins because I started them in a really, really, you know, high 18, 15, 11 Nutrigo cup. And I've been posting that on my feed and it, and like, I knew it would work, but I didn't realize how well it would work. And so I've been kind of impressed by, by the results as well, especially with the, like, again, being able to grow in like sand with, with the uh, humate fertilizers and knowing that it's not going to react with other soil elements because it's all carbon chelated. It's a biostimulate, you know, it's like, dude, this shit's just, it's just rad, dude. You know, it's so rad because I've been reading about all these, you know, soil science for so long stuff. And my, my completely 100% organic blend is really amazing. Well-rounded profiles. It's got a lot of, great stuff in there but we've been looking at how we can get a larger user base and kind of even decrease our costs because even though we are uh we're priced better than a lot of our competition we want to be able to bring to market you know bags that can that people will be able to buy across the u.s and so to be able to do that with the way the logistics are we have to be able to you know sell a you know 1.5 cubic foot bag to a distributor for less than $15 delivered per bag right obviously we have to you know do pallets at a time to be able to get to that volume but that's you know we if we're looking at that type of price point where you know that means that we have to have be able to produce that bag for, you know, six or $7. And so we've been looking at different types of inputs and um, we've come up with a really amazing recipe that really hits on all levels as far as the nutritional values and then the balance. Um, and also giving the best possible price point. Um, so instead of using like the volcanic pumice, which is my hands down, my favorite, I'm not the biggest fan of perlite. Perlite does have, you know, tend to float to the soil surface over a time where pumice doesn't do that. And then pumice will over a long period of time, break down into some plant available nutrients and silica and yada, yada, yada. And the perlite doesn't do that, but Perlite is is a lot less expensive as an input for aeration in soil. And so by switching that out for a, like a, not like, like for a commercial mix or for like a, a, a better price point product, that's one of the ways that we found. And then also 
um, using a specific type of compost, which is, it's interesting because we, we have this compost that's really great. It's a coffee and coffee chaff base. And we were blending it with alfalfa manure compost. And if we don't mix it with alfalfa manure compost, we it's less expensive because it's one less blending process. But what was interesting was I tested with and without the alfalfa manure. And what I saw was without, it has less chloride levels. It has less uh, sulfate levels and it has uh, less bicarbonate levels. Um, so it ended up being a net positive because it decreased cost and it took out some of the things that were that are typical to like new soils where you usually have, you know, a little bit higher um, levels of those types of uh, minerals in the soil. Sure, I know I, I'm also a fan for the same reason as you are the pumice of lava rock as well. Um, we had a, a question, a couple questions from chat. Well, one of them, uh, uh, one asked, do you ship to Australia? We don't. Um, so this is what we would be. We would like to be able to do everything globally and we're working on it. We're going to first start off by doing this, right? Since we have our seed site or our seed page on the website, we're going to be adding different breeders onto there. We're currently, it's just myself and Trevor, Dummy Grows or Gem Seeker Genetics, who uh, works for Bokashi Earthworks. He's a friend of mine. And he does, we'll do like projects together and stuff. So we'll probably, uh, we're going to have Max Yields on there, Third Coast Genetics, the creator of the Oreos. Um, and then also I talked to Michael Fang from Gage Green Group. He'll have some, and then I'm pretty sure we'll have some Green Bodie on there because John's another friend of mine who's another really well-respected uh, cannabis cultivator and breeder. And what we're going to do is start opening up shipping to Canada, to the UK, and Mexico. And what we're doing is we're figuring out the plugins and the integrations into the website. So that way we can have, you know, the seeds are able to go internationally because these places have all opened up and under federal uh, laws, it's now illegal to do so. So we're going to start there. That'll help uh, get the brand out as well. And in the meantime, what we're going to be doing is we, I just recently put together a pitch deck and I have a couple of people that are interested in um, what we've been doing. And since I own 100% of Bokashi Earthworks, we're now at the point where we have built a really solid foundation for the business. We have, you know, a really solid website. We have all of our technological integrations. We have the staff um, for our bookkeeping, our accounting, payroll, all of our reporting. We have, you know, a team that can do social media stuff and, we're starting to integrate all of these things into the company and it's so we're ready. We're, you know, we have the bones to like really expand and, and take this thing off. And so I've been going back and forth to Chicago, as you've probably seen over the last few years. And I go out there and I spend time with Dr. George and his wife, Ilani, who own NASA agricultural technologies. And we talk about the future of the company because Dr. George is 
is getting up there and, you know, the different technologies that he's developed over the years. Um, one of the, one of them being uh, a technology, which takes fluidized humic acids under super high pressures. Uh, they, they pressurize fluidized humic acid and then they uh, force air through the fluid and it actually carbon chelates uh, nitrogen. So what happens is it, it separates the, uh, separates the uh, bonds from the dinitro uh, from the dinitrogen and it'll actually end up with about 16% nitrogen in that car and so you end up with a carbon chelated um, humic acid and he developed this process and he had a couple of friends that paid him for the technology and they did it in Canada for a long time they had a factory up there he was telling me this uh, just last weekend when I was out there telling me about it and they 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 uh built a factory and just made so much money that they were like we don't need to be in business anymore and they just retired and so he was like we can build the exact same thing also uh plant for the humic uh, the the humic and fulvic acid fertilizers and uh to create the NutriGrow cup so what i did is i put together a pitch deck and what we're hoping to do is to raise uh several million dollars to build out the factory jor it we would be it would kind of be like a partnership with nasa agricultural technologies where we would form a new company and the premise would be you know dr george has already designed and they he would engineer everything they would have it all manufactured they'd have it shipped over here they'd have it all built out it kind of turnkey operation and then we would be responsible for all of the business side of everything distribution sales marketing uh getting the land uh, situated and essentially having funds to you know run the daily uh operations and so that's what we're currently working on right now and i have um, and I know, and I know that it'll probably be a little bit of a slow process to like get everything going and stuff. It might not be, but I've never done it before. So it's a learning process because, you know, me, I come from a world of trapping for 18 years until I got out here to Oklahoma and I worked in the legal space and, um, you know, I really figured out all the agronomy and all the science and all the stuff that goes behind, you know, data collection and organic cannabis cultivation. So. Um, I, I just think that this is going to be really, really huge. I ha I have no, I don't have any doubt in my mind. I just need to try to figure out the steps that I need to take to get to where we want to go. Because ideally, I know that we could sell, you know, millions and millions of these cups to places like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, Nigeria. You know, Saudi Arabia, they have this huge project. They're building this 100-mile city. And they have also spent a lot of money on uh, desalinization of uh, salt water. So their agriculture has increased three full uh, three times uh, three times uh, over the last ten years. So there's been a you know a triple in agricultural production, 
and being able to use something like a carbon-based pot and fertilizers, they actually are able to get organic matter into even sandy soils. And so it starts to build new soils. You know, the more that you would use one of these cups, because you're, it's basically a manure compost and then uh, humic fulvic acid chelated base, every time you add that into the soil, you know, it's going to, it it's creates these like long-term sinks you know, especially with all the root exudates and all the carbon that the plant is producing, you know, 80, did you know, dude, did you know 85% of all of the carbohydrates that the plant are producing are, uh, are exuded through the roots? I didn't realize it was 80%. It's a lot. Dude, it's 85%. Yeah. Uh, the majority of and so if you think about all of the carbohydrates that the plant produces over a period of time because those those are things that could be measured right i mean the plant is essentially you know like 75% carbon 70 75% carbon then you have you know whatever smaller percentages of nitrogen potassium calcium phosphorus magnesium and then ppms of micronutrients but the majority you know, hydrogen, oxygen, uh, carbon, and then those nutrients. But all of the, a lot of that, dude, if you were to think about the biomass of a plant, that's like similar masses are going into the soil as, as exudates, which is crazy to think, dude, that's so much. And it's in so, so real time too, dude, the, I was, dude, I was doing a bunch of reading in, in some of my, my books that, I was going over and I was looking at some of the processes that were happening, like some of the metabolic processes that happened during photosynthesis and some of these reactions, like one of the reactions with Rubisco, it it's like a hundredth of a thousandth of a second. You know, these things are happening are on like kind of like almost incomprehensible like speeds. It's nutty. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, on a uh, on kind of a, a related note, I think I sent you this the other day. Um, I was kind of curious if you had seen or heard anything more about it, just on like the interesting organic nutrient topics. Um, there's a new mineral that was discovered in Britain called poly polyhalide. I did look at this. Polyhalide. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I sent I actually wild. sent this to George. So I think that this is has some calcium, some magnesium, and then some other trace elements, but it's nothing like ah like revolutionary. It's just like eh, it's got a couple of things in it. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It's been a while since there's been like a new organic mineral. Um their mine should be completed next year and that should have well, no no you don't you don't you don't mean organic, you just mean natural. Because well, none of the mind, none of the mind minerals are actually organic at all. They're just, they're just, they just come from the earth. They're like unprocessed basically, or like, or oh, yeah. like low processed where like they might micronize them to like give them a better solubility or something like that. So they run them through like a crushing machine or a micronizer where it like turns it either granular or into a really, really fine mesh to where it can be water soluble. 
but definitely not organic. It's not organic unless it's attached to a carbon molecule, but which is really interesting too, because check this out, right? I had a really interesting question come up that somebody asked me that I hadn't gotten before. And um, he asked, he he said this, he said, uh, at the farm that he was working at, everything that they do is organic, all all organic inputs or organic and natural, whatever. And he said, except they use re- urea. And I was like, well, here's the thing. Urea is actually organic. It is a carbon-based fo- form of nitrogen, but it is synthetically produced. And so, so there can be a really big confusion about what organic is from a chemistry standpoint and then from what people are from their perceptions of what organic means because some people think that organic means like natural or it's like a type of practice but organic actually means that it's carbon based that it's attached to a carbon molecule sure yeah either way it's uh i haven't had a new chemical formula for something like that that uh in in a little while so I just thought that was interesting that they found that mine underneath Britain. And built and what, this what, what, what was the main, what was the main thing that was in that one again? It is, or I can put it back up on the screen. This is the breakdown compared to other stuff. So, it has, so it's, it's K2SO4. Okay. Uh, so that's, uh, that is, uh, uh potassium k2so4 yeah yeah mag okay that's that's potassium sulfate yeah uh mag sulf yeah sulfate mag sulfate two two calcium sulfate and then four two h2o is the formula four two the the total full formula is K2SO4 mag SO4 to Cal SO4 to H2O. Oh, okay. So it's yeah, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and uh sulfate. Yeah. So the declared nutrient content is 14% uh potassium uh K2O, uh 19% sulfur. Six uh, percent mag, uh, uh, mago magnesium oxide, and seventeen uh, percent calcium oxide. Seventeen percent calcium and about what do you say? Sixteen percent potassium. Fifteen uh, percent. Yes. Fifteen percent. Dad, it's got a lot of sulfur in it, though. It's got more sulfate than anything. Yeah. That could be an issue because if you were trying to get to nutritional sufficiency with one of those, you'd be driving up your sulfate levels, which can cause osmotic stress, especially if you're trying to do dry backs. You know what I mean? So I would want something that would have like less sulfate in it, but that's cool that you have an element that could bring potentially in, you know, uh, some macro and some secondary nutrients, you know? Yeah, I just thought it was interesting as well. Um, Yeah. It's hard, you know, it can be kind of difficult to do balancing with elements that have multiple things in them. That's why I like to focus on single use elements, you know, like magnesium sulfate on its own or gypsum on its own or. 
And you have a bunch of cool uh, carbon and humate products on your website as well. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the smart carbon stuff? Because it's definitely uh, different yeah. than I think a lot of the other producers are, are making. And it's, it's I'll first start off by saying that the, the massive German agriculture company, Brandt, uh, they challenged my trademark for smart carbon. And after talking to my attorney, who is a really good attorney, he said, it's not worth fighting them because they do over half a billion dollars in, in profit a year, not sales, but profit. They're a multi-billion dollar company and, uh, that it wouldn't be worth, you know, it would just, they would just try to crush me with legal fees. So he said, not really the best idea. I was like, if I really thought that you had a chance, but they have a line of products called like branded smart, um, smart iron and branded smart zinc and branded smart copper and their chelated nutrients, EDTA chelated nutrients, nothing like what I have at all, but it would still could cause confusion in the market. So I'm not going to be able to call it smart carbon. I'm going to have to re fucking find something else unfortunately um intelligent carbon <laughs> that's what i was thinking too but uh, i don't know man i want to make it like uh, well i'm gonna figure it out about smarter er smarter carbon. dude i'm telling you if i did that they come back uh, it's they they basically are trying to own anything with the word smart in it in agriculture which is crazy that you could trademark the word smart because it's such a general word however they're able to do it because they've got a fucking full fucking legal team that you know they're like hey here's our legal department it's that we pay this legal department fucking millions of dollars a year and they have this is what they do they challenge every single fucking trademark that comes across that they think might you know, even come close to what they're fucking touching. So it's just, it's what we have to deal with, you know, but it, who gives a shit? I'll fucking move on. Fuck them. I'm not going to buy their products. I won't fucking buy their iron sulfate and, and I won't use it in my soil mixes anymore. I'll go find another company. I'll go do some independent testing on their shit. And if everything's good, then I'll just use the other companies. So, uh, but okay. I'll get into the fucking, the, the carbon it's been around for a while. Uh, my mentor, who you've probably seen on my feed and, you know, seen some of the reels that I've made in the past, that he's a brilliant man. He was a NASA engineer. He worked on the Apollo space program. If you've ever seen the videos of the rockets where it's separating from itself and the lower part, you know, disengages and the other part keeps going in space. He designed that whole system. He designed life support system. He did a bunch of work on that whole project back in the sixties. And the guy, you know, he was in the army, he was an engineer, he's Greek and he speaks like five different languages. He has multiple degrees, astronautical engineering, chemical engineering, civil and mechanical engineering degrees. Guy's a goddamn genius. Um, I got hooked up with him because somebody I had met on social media, they actually gave me the product that he developed and um, I eventually ended up using it and I needed to figure out, dude, what the heck is this? This shit is crazy. I've never seen anything like it. I was like, there's no way it's fucking organic because I've never seen anything work like this. And he couldn't answer the questions. And so he hooked me up with Dr. George 
And I talked to him for, you know, maybe 30 or 45, I don't know, probably 45 minutes. Um, and he was impressed by all of, you know, the holistic approach that I take to, you know, cultivation. And so he invited me out to Chicago and I've been going back and forth out there forever. Not forever, but for the last couple of years now. And he's taught me a bunch of stuff. He's, you know, turned me on to all these different books that I should have, that I, you know, that I should read. And so I have all these different books and I've, you know, gone through all this information that he's provided for me. And essentially what he developed was, so he was working in, after he got out of NASA, he went, he was a private contractor and he did work for a lot of different companies. One of the companies that he worked for was Monsanto and what he did with them was he built some of the largest sulfuric acid plants to so that they could make uh, phosphorus fertilizers. Because the way phosphorus fertilizers are made is you have to take this appetite material, which is just basically rocks, right? Rocks that have maybe a small amount of phosphorus in there, maybe 3 to 5% phosphorus. What they do is they micronize that phosphorus and then they add sulfuric acid, which soybolizes and liberates the phosphate, the plant available phosphorus. Um, and they separate that and then they mix that with nitrogen that's been created through the Harbor Botch process. And they combine those two together in a mixing vat and it creates a solid salt, right? To make things like diammonium, monoammonium phosphate, and whatever fertilizers. Now, he helped them because he wanted to they were so inefficient they were so wasteful and he and he wanted to be like start figuring out a way to you know reduce the waste and increase the efficiency so that way they weren't so wasteful and it didn't have such a large environmental impact and so he developed these the these holistic systems to to agriculture in a way that that would address soil microbiology um, it would address soil nutrition. It would address the nutrient use efficiency, but they didn't really want to hear it. And so he stopped working for, you know, contracting for companies like that. And he developed his own uh, factories where essentially they take lignite, which is mineralized organic matter. They micronize that. And then, um, they extract the pure humic and fulvic acids out of that. So a little thing for your listeners. If you go to the store and you go buy like a dry powdered humic and fulvic acid and it says derived from leonardonite, the reason why the amount of humic and fulvic acids are so low in those products is because it's not really just humic and fulvic acids. It's just mineralized organic matter that they've micronized or granulated. And while it does have some humic and fulvic acids they're not immediately available and they couldn't they can't really be considered humic and fulvic acids because of the way that they're complexed up into these larger complexes they're not at a low enough molecular weight that they're um, available to the plant or to the biology and so they have to be broken down and solubilized in the system for them to be effective and that could take a long period of time depending on the part the particulate size of that humic and fulvic acid 
real humic and fulvic acids, they what has to happen is they have to take that that lignite, that that uh, mineralized organic matter, and it has to be micronized down to about 200 mesh, which is enough to cover a square mile in um, atoms, right? It's very very fine, and the reason why they have to increase the surface area of that, so uh, when they add a when they uh, fluidize that micronized substance and they change the pH, that's how they can extract the humic and fulvic acids because in alkaline, they're both humic and fulvic acid are, um, they're uh, soluble in alkaline conditions. So if you jack up the, the pH, they become soluble in that. And it, what happens is they separate from each other and they separate the humic acid, the fulvic acid, and all the humane. And humane is all the, just the garbage, all the really heavily complex things like heavy metals, um, ethers, esters, all these other different types of uh, carbon groupings, right? And they just fall to the bottom. That's separated out. It's just called, and that you can just put that like into soils and stuff. It can improve some soils and stuff like that, depending on what's in it. And then you have the the, the layering of the humic and fulvic acid. Then you decrease the the pH of that solution, and then since humic acid isn't soluble in acidic conditions it precipitates out of the solution and so then you can separate the humic and fulvic acid so that is how you actually get the humic and fulvic acids so you can separate those humic and fulvic acids now when you have pure humic and fulvic acids you can then uh, chelate mineral nutrients so if you were to introduce especially under pressure um and high temperatures, you can car you can start to chelate anything that's introduced into that fluidized humic and fulvic acid. And so that's how the process is. It's a green process. It does take energy to produce it. But essentially what we're doing is we're taking all of the mineral ions that were in that organic um, organic mineral and we're carbon chelating it through a certain process where we're extracting pure humic and fulvic acids and then carbon chelating all those mineral ions. Um, and also what it can do is under that pressure, that fluidized humic and fulvic acid, you can run air through it and it'll, it'll separate that uh, nitrogen, hold on to that nitrogen into a carbon chelated form of nitrogen. And so that is what the the humate fertilizer is it's a completely carbon chelated one part fertilizer that has all of the plant elements in one homogeneous form so every single drop of fertilizer contains nitrogen potassium phosphorus calcium magnesium sulfur and all of the micronutrients and, it, and the best thing is it has a high nutrient use efficiency. If we were looking at like diammonium phosphate, something like that, that they use for starter fertilizers, you only maybe get about 20, uh, 15 to 20% uh, use efficiency out of that. Like what you're putting in there, the rest reacts with other chemicals when it's, when those ions are liberated in solution, because they're so highly um, reactive and they'll bind with other uh, elements in the soil. And then also things like nitrate and then like phosphate, they're negatively charged. And so they won't uh, adhere to like clay colloids and soil. And so they run off into, into our waterways. It doesn't happen with the carbon, right? Because what happens is the low, low, low molecular weight carboxylic acids, that's what all of these things are created, the humic and fulvics, they actually coat the surfaces of the clay colloids 
and it will help actually uh, degrade those two. And so it will help with the liberation of ions and the, and the bioavailability of what's already in the soil as well. So it helps with the creation of new soils by liberating some of those um, ions that are trapped in mineral elements. Not necessarily like the organic matter, but it does help cycle organic matter as well. But it does both. Like it'll break down composts. It'll break down, um, you know, leaf material. Because it's, you know, stimulating biology, but it also does that same thing on the mineral side too. So like your calphos, right? So if you have liberated uh, phosphorus in solution, if it doesn't get used by the plant, there's a good chance that it will bind with like calcium if you're in like a higher pH, right? And so that'll precipitate out a solution and that's not available. Even though it's phosphorus and calcium are both plant elements, they're tied up in a form the plant can't use. What happens with the microbial media, uh, mediated metabolites like phosphatase and some of these other enzymes, it'll break those bonds and it'll re it'll reliberate those ions, that calcium and that phosphate ion back into soil solution. So there's cycling, that type of cycling happens and that fertilizer will also stimulate the microbes that, that aid in that cycle as well. There's just so much stuff it does dude it's all multifunctional and that's why it works great with like the micro plus because when you're introducing you know a certain consortium of microbiology that's been shown to be able to do certain things and you can you know stimulate that with the fertilizers as well you know so it's like oh i'm gonna introduce all these probiotics this multifunctional probiotic and then next week when i fertilize it's going to help stimulate that biome so it's just it just works really well, man. And I'm like super, super excited because there's, there are carbon based um, nutrients on the market, but there's nothing like what Dr. George has uh, created. Nice. Uh, we had a question. How do you feel about wall Wallace tonight versus pumice? Uh, so, I use wollastonite, which is the calcium silica. It's been one of the things that I use to balance to balance pH. Typically, if I see a soil test and it has a low pH, my go-to is wollastonite, even though it takes a little bit longer to raise the pH than something like high calcium aglime. I've also found, too, that it's a really great product. And I use the, the, the Vansil 20, right? That's the calcil. <clears throat> And it's because it's a micronized version. So it's a little more soluble in solution. And naturally in organic systems, you have the acidification of soil because the microbes are creating enzymes and proteins and organic acids that naturally acidify soil. And in the past, I was always, you know, adjusting with high calcium aglime. Oh, I have to adjust. I have to adjust. Kept adjusting because the pH would decrease. It would decrease over time. What I found is that using the calcium silica in small amounts through the fertigation process along with the humates really helps to, to stabilize that flux that would happen through the microbial mediation where the pH drops, right? And so it's been a great way 
for me to front load calcium and veg and maintain stable pHs, but I have never personally used larger coarse calcium silicate material for aeration. However, I suspect that if you had larger uh, particulate sizes that it would do well for aeration and then it would also offer some sites for binding on other elements depending on the surface area and and um, it would also have a slow release of calcium and silica into that system but i've never tried it as an aeration and i'd be curious to see what the ph overall on the soil if you were using something like 15% as an aeration, right? Or 20% of that mix as aeration. I think it would have a pretty large impact on that soil pH and it might cause a higher pH in that situation. No, I, I totally agree. Um, we had another question from Chad. Any tips on dealing with lactobacillus to stop pH drops? I'm guessing a dryback might help. No, I mean, you're going to, again, that's just 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 like what I was talking about. All of those different microorganisms that are creating those organic acids, it's an acid. They're not organic alkalis. They call them organic acids for a reason. You know what I mean? It's because they're going to drop pH. And that's just part of what nature does, right? You go from higher energy states to lower energy states as things are metabolized and consumed. And so using calcium silica is a good one right or high calcium ag line it's why i test because you know you could have you could start off at 6.5 and be like cool sweet we're good but at the end of that run you might be at 5.9 or 5.8 and so when you go to re um you you have to re-amend that soil at the end of a run so that way you can start at the same point where you where you ended up so you can run the same fertigation program over and over again you know you want to start at the same place all the time absolutely um uh i i regularly use lactobacillus to reduce ph organically in either aquariums or aquaponic systems you know it will you know if you're dosing at a one to one thousand rate it's going to lower your ph by 0.1 to 0.2 parts per, uh, per million or you know ph not parts per million ph rather sorry i'm very tired it's been a long day um yeah, so it'll lower it by 0 0.1 to 0 0.2 pH. So if you're actually trying to have like an organic, well, quote unquote organic or whatever you want to call it, um, uh, pH down, lactobacillus, at least for small adjustments, is a really good option. But if you use it too micro much, Micro Plus does that too. You know, if you add the Micro Plus, let's say you, you're adding 30 milliliters into a gallon and your starting pH might be at like 6.5, you're going to end up at like 5.5. And that's not necessarily a bad thing too, especially if you have a buffered soil, because what I've noticed is that if you can have um, like the microbes, right? Adding microbes, having a slight decrease in pH for a very short period can help bring into solution some of those other elements like iron, for instance, or some of the micronutrients into solution because they're uh, bioavailable at lower ph ranges and so and the same thing goes for a little higher ph ranges like if you have something that's a little that's more soluble at a higher ph range and you're adding something in like a like a potassium silica right you're getting the added benefit of that too 
And typically what I see, as long as your balance, your soil pH is balanced, you can have those fluctuations every once in a while, and it's not going to have a negative impact on the soil, you know, at all. Because, you know, it'll be a temporary, you know, decreasing pH solution to where, oh, hey, maybe I got a little bit more iron in, in this feeding because I used, uh, I watered at a lower pH or had some microbes in there that were going to solubilize uh, a, a larger amount of phosphate and make iron a little bit more available because of the lower pH and maybe some manganese. Sure. Yeah, manganese is another one that oxidizes um, over time that people kind of neglect. And, and I certainly see it in water tests and aquaponics and soil tests as well. Um, we had another question any thoughts on biochar and terra preta oh yeah so the whole when we're talking about you know <clears throat> what organic is it's synonymous with carbon and when we're talking about biology biology you know requires carbon to proliferate and so different types of carbon will proliferate different types of microbiology and when we look at larger complex organic substrates like lignin for instance uh barks of trees typically the types of microbes that break those down are more complex and that's why you see mushrooms you know mushrooms usually grow you know break down trees and you know it's because it takes so much more energy bacteria are more like cellulose well you know so they have different substrates different microorganisms depending on their metabolisms they'll be able to solubilize different compounds but they're for the most part um if they're uh um all of the different modes of metabolism are kind of stuck in my brain but i can't think of them right now because i've been fucking smoking and drinking but um, so you have some chemoautotrophs, which don't require um, organic carbon. They can use atmospheric carbon um, to proliferate, but a large amount of microorganisms are heterotrophic, and which that what that means is that they need organic sources of carbon. And so biochars, right? There's going to be a lot of different types. I actually just posted on my IG feed a research paper on carboxylic acids. And so those are things like formic, acetic, olic, um, lactic, psilocylic. Those are some that people might be familiar with. There's a lot more that people are probably not familiar with. Um, but these compounds can be utilized or sometimes are even produced by microbes, depending on, again, the uh, the, the uh, types of metabolisms, metabolisms that they employ. But biochars, if you think about biochars, right? So you're going to have all types of different carbon groupings in there. And you're going to have water-soluble carbon sources. So it will proliferate biology. The thing is, there is a kind of a delicate balance between carbon and nitrogen because what happens is if there's an abundance of carbon you're going to proliferate a lot of biology and biology all of those microbes they do require um nitrogen and phosphorus and other elements as too but i'm just going to start with nitrogen and phosphorus right they need the nitrogen to build uh 
peptides, amino acids, and proteins. So, so, you know, their DNA, they're made out of proteins, right? And so they need nitrogen to be able to build those things. And then they need phosphorus for adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy exchange currency for all cellular uh, mechanics and metabolisms, right? It's what they use as an energy source. And then also for the creation of uh, fats and lipids, you know, cellular membranes and all that other type of good stuff, those compartments that need to be compartmentalized. And so they, those are both highly biologically mediated processes, right? Nitrogen fixation. And then also um, the, the liberation of of nitrogen into like nitrogen gases. Those are both biologically mediated processes. And then also the liberation of phosphate, um, which is a plant available form of phosphorus from the parent appetite material, phosphorus materials, calcium phosphates or bone meals or whatever it is, those uh, calcium phosphorus complexes and all those rocks that are in there that can be solubilized in the phosphorus, highly biologically mediated, right? And I, and, and so there's competition. And if you don't have enough nit nitrogen, what will happen is that all the microbes will actually compete for the nitrogen. And so they'll actually immobilize that nitrogen. And so what happens is they'll take it out as a solution and they'll incorporate it into their own metabolism. They'll build things with it. And so it's in them internally. And the only way that is going to be liberated is when those things cycle over right? When those things are either eaten by protozoa or nematodes, or they naturally go through their life cycle, and then they decompose. And then those chemical constituents that have been trapped inside of their bodies are then released back into the soil solution where they can be, um, you know, taken up by plant roots, right? And so what happens is, if you have, if you don't have the right carbon and nitrogen ratio in that system, you essentially tie up the nitrogen through that process. And then you don't have access to it. Probably doesn't have access to it. So you have to be careful about how much carbon you're putting into that soil. I actually learned that um, by putting way too much biochar. I put, I thought that 3% biochar would be a good idea. And what I found out is the amount of organic nitrogen amendments that you have to add to that soil is exponentially higher and then what you see with that is because meals typically don't just have you know nitrogen in it like if i was going to get blood meal if or if i was going to use feather meal or if i was going to be soy meal or alfalfa meal those things come along with other things and so you could bring in uh chloride you could bring in too much of other things that you might not want and so it could be kind of a difficult it could be difficult as uh you know, to figure out how much of what you should be using. So you're not bringing in, bringing it. So you're bringing in what you want without bringing in any of the other stuff. That's why yeah. amino acids are so amazing because it's a great source of carbon-based uh, nitrogen. You can't burn plants with it and it doesn't really bring anything else in with it. You know, it's just nitrogen. Yeah, I know we tested in, in Colorado Gilcrest, Colorado, we tested outside of, um, um, oh, what's the one that they always make fun of for the cows? So we I got somebody in chat on it. Anyways, in Colorado, um, so we ran a, uh, 
half acre at 1%, half acre at 3%, half acre at 5% with biochar. And um, we didn't have any like major noticeable differences in yield over six years uh, with hemp. That was just CBD hemp, but we didn't. That was field application. What was that? I'm sorry. That was field application though. Field application. Yeah. And the top. So it's different though too, though. You have to. So one of the things is that like agronomic soils, like real soils versus modified growing mixes. But like in a peat-based, cocoa-based system, <laughs> that biochar will tie things up way more than a, um, a field application soil because the organic matter percentage in typical agronomic soils is less than 2%. And then the organic matter percentage in a modified growing mix is like usually a lot. It's usually like over 60% you know because it's all peat it's mostly peat based composts organic amendments meals you know and so they function a little differently it like modified growing mixes have similarities but they definitely have a lot of differences when it comes to ag soils yeah for sure and for anyone who's wondering what terra preta is terra preta if you go to the Amazon rainforest, the Amazon rainforest didn't used to be the Amazon rainforest. There actually used to be a huge civilization there that got killed off by uh, the white people diseases that we brought over from Europe. And uh, there's a friar that looked really interesting. Basically, they had transformed a large percentage of the Amazon rainforest, what is now the Amazon rainforest, into cultivated lands. And you can tell because when they dig in the earth, there's like a biochar layer where they slash and burn all of the crops each year and then the microbes and everything they, they'd work back in and when they yeah. till the land and uh it, it that that's what terra preta is if you were uh listening and don't know what that is um i do know that you had a, a little bit of a limited time i don't know if you want to keep going or if you wanted to, to wind up soon yeah we should we should close up soon sure um, is there anything else you wanted to, to mention? Uh, I know you're you're doing a cool event soon in New York and some other stuff coming up. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a couple of judging for some competitions. And I just always got stuff going on, man. I've got the, the Grow World Network stuff going on. So I've been trying to drive people over to the Grow World Network. Um. I've got an uh, educational platform. I talk to these people that they are doing some uh, education distribution. They're like an education distribution company where they get people like, you know, a famous uh, producer, music producer. And that producer will put together like a whole, like a master class or, you know, even something for beginners, you know, but they'll have different tiers and different instructors across all different types of um education and uh they reached out to me and they wanted me to do a lot of the you know build courses and stuff so something that uh we're working on it's we just got so much going on and we relaunched the website we're just going we're going and doing it and getting it done awesome i feel you i'm working on a collab with uh true aquaponics right now for uh a new uh, aquaponics class that's just kind of general AP. Uh, we all have a short and long version for kind of people that just want to build a system in their backyard. 
and make it work and then for someone that wants to really kind of learn all they can so i think people i was, are I really was talking like, to dr george about uh some aquaponics and he said that the the humate fertilizer will work in aquaponics as well nice because it's carbon chelated it won't react it's not going to disassociate the ions when it goes into solution it just stays carbon chelated and so it it's uh it has no in, uh, negative environmental impacts and so i actually hit up bain and i was like yo uh you should try some of this i'd love to get some to you and here's the product guide and stuff and I told him to let me know because I thought it would be really cool if he tried it, uh, did some trials. So that way we could put together some, you know, some marketing content on that on that side as well. Sure. Yeah. No, he's always down to work on stuff. Sometimes you kind of got to wait the queue because of what he's got going on. But he's, he's always down. We actually run a lot of a uh, friend of mine's um, autoflower genetics there and a bunch of other stuff that they have in the winter, uh, in the off season. Uh, oh, they yeah. run a whole bed of auto flowers there as well. And then in the summertime, springtime and, and late winter, they run yep. those for extra clones. For sale, so. Speaking of auto flowers, uh, we have a bunch of feminized auto flowers on the website now also from Gem Seeker Genetics. And I've grown all that stuff out. It's all it's all great. I uh, did a bunch of auto runs earlier in the season so I could have a bunch of stuff to make hash out of for like uh, RSO for solventless RSO. So yeah, we're updating stuff still, but yeah, there's, there's stuff on there, man. We're super excited. Nice. And, um, on, on the, on that note as well, uh, I will have some of the first stuff uh, to release from Thailand here, uh, in two or probably two weeks, maybe before then depends how long the website does, but, uh, we'll have some really cool worked, um, uh, temple tie crosses and then uh, oh if you want to if you want to uh list some stuff on the website you um building out the breeders page sure yeah um we will have some uh some can tie stuff um first off and then we'll have some pure temple tie here in the future uh those seeds weren't quite ready yet so um but we will have some temple tie sour og and a bunch of other like really dope genetics that are, are crosses and then some tie crosses as well um, from all Thai genetics. So definitely check that out. Um, like I said, we'll have more information on that shortly. Uh, I'm finishing getting the final touches on that uh, together so that we can start releasing a lot of the, the Thai genetics back stateside. So if you guys were looking for those, we'll have lots of cool stuff available here in the very near future. Be Already, awesome. uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? I'll throw up your Instagram again here real quick and your website. Yep. Yeah, uh, Bokashi Earthworks on IG and also right here. You can find the Bokashi Earthworks link right in the bio. You can find the website right in the bio. Super easy. Rust.Brandon. So, yeah. And uh, like I said, if you're looking for soil, uh, I do use and have used uh, Brandon for all of my commercial operations whenever we need to buy soil for the last couple of years. Uh, definitely uh, the best one that I've run out of all of the side-by-sides that are Awesome. Should check it out, uh, MikashiEarthworks dot uh, net. All see right, you later, dude. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it, and uh, thanks everybody for watching. Um, I I'll know talk we've to you had soon, dude. Cheers. Thanks, man. Later.
thanks everybody for watching um i know we've had a couple of issues with the podcast on the audio soundcloud had some kind of problem they told me they should have everything fixed by tomorrow so if you're still having issues with it this weekend i apologize it was nothing then on my end uh, it was an issue with soundcloud so um you should be able to get all the latest episodes again through your regular rss feed um however you are signed up for podcasts um also since we're wrapping up your thing here if you're looking for more education on aquaponic cannabis please consider the aquaponic cannabis Masterclass at apmjclass.com featuring over seven days of in-depth hands-on educational content with marty waddell and stephen raisner as your guides through the aquaponic cannabis universe we'll cover everything from construction of large commercial facilities home size systems backyard systems nutrients pest control diseases everything you can think of and uh, and so much more so be sure to check that out at apmjclass.com and if you're looking for aquaponic cannabis or living soil uh, pest control courses please check out uh, thepestclass.com where we have a huge in-depth course on pest control, how to make your own um, bio controls, as well as in-depth guides and identification guides for a whole slew of different pests that you may encounter in your aquaponics garden. And it's not strictly just geared towards cannabis, uh, it's also geared towards vegetables as well. So be sure to check that out if it's something you think you might need to improve in your education. Alrighty, everybody. Uh, thanks for watching. And, uh... We'll catch you guys again next week. We do have some cool, I have a couple of really awesome guests that we've had a couple of last minute issues with. We had a cool guest that we're going to have on today. And uh, he had um, issues with his kid being sick. So we're going to get him on in the future. Brennan was kind enough to help fill in. And uh, always fun to, to have Brennan on the show and, uh, and educate everybody on all the awesome stuff that's going on.